I've been in a series in Eunice. It's a six-week series. Uh, it's called The Good Life. And it's a series that's based on the idea that, that we're called or we've been given permission to live a good life once we're saved or once we're born again. We've been given permission and actually invited into this good life that God has for us while we're waiting for Jesus to come back. So like the good things of Jesus aren't going to happen when we get to, to eternity. We're not waiting for the goodness of God until eternity. We can receive it now. And so as, as believers, we should be enjoying, appreciating, and thriving in this good life that Jesus has afforded us. And so I've been in this series for six weeks. I've touched on a couple of topics. I'll give them to you. You can go back and listen to them at oscconnect.com, or you can even listen, or you can even download our, our OSC app and listen to the whole series there. But I, I, week one was Jesus gives us hope. I don't know if you realize this, but when you were born again, when you were saved, you were given a hope that the unsaved people don't have. They can only hope in some mystical thing or some worldly thing, but we've been given hope by the creator of the universe. That's a different kind of hope. Week two was Jesus gives us faith. Faith is not always something I have to muster up. Jesus actually gives me faith. So we talked about that. Week three, Jesus gives us rest. Like for real. Like I'm talking about the kind of rest where you put your phone down. You turn the TV off. You sit quietly and hear his voice kind of rest. That's, that's, that's heavenly type of rest that we can have right now. Then week four, we talk, I talked about how Jesus gives us strength. And we have, as believers, we have supernatural strength available to us. And then week five, I talked about how Jesus gives seeds to the sower. And when we read the scriptures, the Bible tells us that God gives seed and bread to the sower, which means this in simple form. He gives you something to plant for a future harvest, but he also gives you bread to eat. And how you manage those two determines how you get to enjoy the seeds and the bread. And so today I want to give you the message that I think is the most important. This was the final message in that series our key verse for the, the series was John chapter 10, verse 9 to 11. Watch what it, Jesus says about himself. He says, yes, I am the gate. Jesus makes two statements about himself. He says, yes, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and will find good pastures. Verse 10, the thief's purpose, watch this carefully. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. He's not picking one or the other. He's going for all three. My purpose, Jesus says, is to give them a rich and satisfying life. I believe he said that hoping we would never stoop to worldly riches as if it was a gift from God. Because money in the bank is not rich. Money in the bank is stressed in most cases. The riches of God are so much different than money. And then he says this, I am the good shepherd. 
The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. So Jesus makes two statements about himself, two claims. Number one, he says, I'm the gate. The only way into this good life, he's saying, is through me. Like you can't experience this good life unless you come through Jesus. Come on, somebody. I'm giving you the goods this morning. Like the only way to get this good life is to come through Jesus. You can have what the world offers. You can have that substitute life. But if you want the real goods, you're going to have to come through Jesus to get it. And then he says, I'm the good shepherd. I lay down my life. I sacrifice my life for my sheep. Now, Jesus was using agricultural terms that applied to the people at that time. The way they managed sheep in those days where they had these big pins set up. And they had tall fences around this pin. And it had one gate. And the gate was different for every shepherd. Because the gate was built according to the shepherd's height. Because Jesus said, I'm the gate and I'm the shepherd. Jesus is literally your gate. The shepherd at night would bring the sheep into the pen, and then he would lay down in the gate. So that if the enemy was going to try to come in, he'd have to come through Jesus to get to me. You see, when you start to understand that Jesus is guarding the gate, in fact, that Jesus is the gate, you'll start sleeping better. You'll start resting different. You'll start receiving the peace that you're supposed to have. When you understand that Jesus is laying at the gate and I'm in his fold, I'm in his pasture, and ain't nobody getting to me today. So Jesus is the gate. Jesus is the good shepherd. And with this final message in that series, today I want to talk to you about love. And the title of my message is, this may sound familiar to some of you Sunday schoolers. How many of you remember the song, Jesus loves me, this, come on, sing with me. I know, for the Bible tells me, so. yeah, I'm going back, all right. The title of my message is, Jesus loves me, this I should know. I should know it, but this is what I'm afraid of. Most Christians today don't operate from the basis of Jesus' love for them. If we did, we wouldn't be trying to seek love and find love in all the wrong places. Amen? I want to start the message with a statement. We are only at our absolute best when our operating system is powered by God's love. If Jamie is ever going to be the best Jamie he can ever be, it is only when my operating system, my desires, my longings, my wants, my actions, my words, my deeds are powered by God's love. Otherwise, it's not the same. Otherwise, it's too man-made. Otherwise, it's too flesh. Is this making sense? So I'm only at my best when my operating system is powered by God's love. So I want to give you three thoughts about God's love this morning. You ready? Number one, you need to keep your perspective clear. Keep your perspective clear. I want to bring you back to a place 
where your perspective can be reset this morning. And I want you to understand that you've not been invited into a relationship with a world leader. You've not been invited into a relationship with a celebrity. You've not been invited into a relationship with a sports star. And you've not been invited into a relationship with a billionaire. You've been invited into a relationship with the creator of every one of those people. When you gave your life to Christ, you became a citizen of heaven and you were invited into a relationship with the creator of the universe. So stop ooing and eyeing over people that he created. You need to ooh and ah over God, the creator himself. Amen? So we got to take that and flip it again because we're, we spend too much time on social media. We spend too much time watching TV. We spend too much time ooing and eyeing over the wrong people. And here's the problem we face as a church today. We give those worldly people too much influence in our life. They tell us how to dress. That's why you parents are struggling with your girls and your boys about how they dress. Maybe you need to change their influence. We give the world too much influence. Our speech is influenced by the world. Our worldview is influenced by the world. Our thoughts are influenced by the world. And God's going, but you know me. Don't be influenced by them. You know me. Let me be the influence of your life. Wash your brain with this. Wash your brain when you're quiet with me. Let me be the greatest influence in your life. And so because the church has allowed the world to influence it so much, the, word, the church has become weak. I wonder if the world's not really getting darker or if maybe the light's just getting dimmer. So I'm convinced that we give them too much influence. And I believe the church has lost the understanding that I've been invited into a relationship with God Almighty. <laughs> you see, I'm, I've come to the point in my life where I'm not impressed by people too much. I think Elon Musk is cool, but that's about as far as it goes. I think Tom Brady should have stayed retired <laughs> and saved his marriage instead. <laughs> I'm not impressed. It's hard to get impressed with people when you're impressed by the one you're in relationship with. All right, so in, in order to receive God's love, we must have confidence in our standing with God. Here's the problem. Most of us don't know where we stand with God. I, I, let me start by asking a question. How many of you? Is there a trap door right there? We need to, we need to brace up this trap door. I came today to put a little pressure on you. We're going to stay right here. Let's move the cameras. Let's move everything. I think I just snapped a two by four. The church needs bigger preachers. Come on, somebody. <laughs> and stronger stages. 
I believe we have a problem with confidence in knowing where we stand with God because we don't understand what the scriptures say and we don't understand what Christ has done for us. I'm just trying to change your perspective this morning. Go with me to Romans chapter 5. We're going to spend most of our time in Romans today, which is plenty enough. Paul speaking, Romans 5, verse 6 to 11. Listen to what Paul says. When we were utterly helpless, say helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though some, someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. Verse 8 is a memory verse of mine. I memorized this verse so that it would have influence in my life and that it would shape my worldview and it would help me to keep my perspective straight. Verse 8 says this, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. You got to build your life on scripture like that. That needs to be the foundation that you stand up on because the enemy's trying to convince you that you're a punk and you're blown it and you can't go any further and it's too late. And Jesus said, God said, I sent my son when you were at the lowest. When you couldn't get any lower, I sent my son. I demonstrated my love for you. I showed it. I showed it by sending. It's done. Verse 9, and since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, we will, we will with God, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. Sorry, this thing moves too much. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. Watch what just happened. The Bible just threw some scriptures, some words at you that you're going to have to wrap your head around this morning. In those verses, you just found out that you were once an enemy of God, but because of what Christ has done, you're now a friend of God. And that's something worth chewing on. How many of you have ever had an enemy before? I'm not asking you about today. I'm just saying before because I don't want nobody to be embarrassed. Like, like, come on, seriously. Like, if you've had an enemy in your life, raise your hand, hold it up, everybody look around. Okay, most of you have had an enemy. <laughs> Something's going to have to change inside of us to go from an enemy to a friend. You see, what God just told us in the scriptures was that he showed us how much he loved us by sending his son to die for us. And in verse 9, since we've been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. Verse 10, for since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son. When you were born again, you went from enemy to friend. The problem with some people is they still live like an enemy of God, even though you've been brought into friendship with God. So now you got this funky relationship with God where you don't know where you stand. So you spend most of your days trying to figure out where you are with God. Well, maybe he's mad at me now when something happens. Oh, he must be punishing me. Oh, I wonder if God loves me today. How many of you tired of that cycle? 
How many of you ready to get off that crazy train? We're going to have to change our perspective. We're going to have to change our mind. How does someone go from your enemy to your friend? A lot of things have to change, right? To go from your enemy to your friend, some things are going to have to change. Let me give you two things that need to change. Number one is your mind needs to change about that person. And then your attitude has to change towards that person. For that person to become my friend who was my enemy, something inside of me has to change. My mind about them has to change and my attitude has to change. Now listen to this. The word said that we were his enemy, but now we're his friend. I don't know if you know this, but God changed his mind about you. And he's changed his attitude towards you. God changed his mind about you. And he changed his attitude towards you. Is it because of your good deeds? Is it because you look that good? Is it because your hair fell into place this morning? No, it's because of the blood of Christ. So when God looks at you now, he sees the blood of Christ. He sees you cleansed and forgiven and justified. So he changed his mind about you. Then he changed his attitude towards you. Thank God he changed his mind and his attitude towards me. But watch this. He was my enemy also. And now he's my friend. So something inside of me has to change. My mind has to change towards God. And my attitude has to change towards God. Or else I continue to treat him like an enemy. You see, there's a big difference between an enemy and a friend. Let me give you some definitions. An enemy is someone who is hostile to you, someone who feels hatred towards you, someone who opposes the interests that you have. An enemy is someone who intends to injure you or someone who fights against you. That's what an enemy is. But a friend is one who enjoys your company. I hope you hear this today. It's, a friend is one who feels affection towards you. A friend is, is a person who supports you, a person who comes alongside and assists you, a person who backs you up. That's what a friend is. Big difference between an enemy and a friend, right? So if you're going to treat God like a friend, you're going to have to change your mind today. And then you're going to have to change your attitude towards him today. And you're going to have to realize that he is for me and not against me. Yeah. Rick Warren made a, 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 a statement that, that goes like this. He says, the key to friendship with God is not changing what you do, but changing your attitude towards what you do. Now watch verse 11. Verse 11 says... So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. If you're born again, you're not an enemy. If you're born again, you've been invited into a relationship with the creator of the universe, so you shouldn't be that impressed with other people because you know the one that made them. 
Maybe today your struggle has been that you just don't see God right. Maybe today you're back and forth, you're vacillating between he loves me, he don't love me, he loves me, he don't love me. Maybe the only thing that needs to change is your mind and your attitude towards him. So keep your perspective clear. Number two, you have to remember who chose who. I'm going to break some lies in you this morning. Sometimes you get a little prideful and you start thinking you went out and found God. As if to say you woke up one morning in a holy moment and said, you know what? I'm finding God today. Me and him's going to get tight and I'm going to be right. Yep. I'm going to go find God today. I'm going to go to that little church and if God's there, I'm going to find him. None of you did that. None of you did that. And the minute you think that, you need to rebuke pride off of your life. Because watch what the Bible says, John 15, 16. It says this, you didn't choose me, but I chose you. Get you some of that. (laughs) You didn't choose me. I chose you. You see, it's a big difference between me choosing God and God choosing me. Amen? Amen. Romans 8.30 says this. And having chosen them, he called them to come to him. And having called them, he gave them right standing with himself. And having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. There's a whole lot that just happened in that one verse. Did y'all catch that? There's about four things that happened in that verse that you have to know. Number one, you need to know that God chose you. He picked you. He called you by name. He chose. He said, I like you. I want you in my family. He chose you. Then the Bible says in, in verse 30 that he called you. This is how you didn't get to God on your own. It was the Holy Spirit working behind the scenes as God was calling you to himself. It's just like sheep. He was just herding you in. Oh, yeah, he was working the sheep that day, and you was just one of them in the pasture that he picked. He said, I want that sheep, that sheep, and that sheep. And you and your two best buddies got saved that day because the Holy Spirit called you in. And when he called you in, he gave you a choice to accept Jesus as his Lord and Savior or to pass. And if you chose Jesus as your Lord and Savior, the Bible says that you went from an enemy to a friend in that moment. In that moment. That's quick transformation right there. That's what he means when he says you've been given right standing with God. That means that I'm standing in the right place with God. Oh, come on. Like we good. Now, let me try to speak your language a little bit. Maybe. I don't, I don't, I've been out of Jennings for a little while because I kind of lost the, I'm, I'm, I'm more of the prairie language, rice fields. and Me and Jesus are just all right. We're good. Me and God are good. No matter what. We're good. Because Christ did what he did. I'm now who I am in the place that I'm supposed to be because we're good. Because God didn't change his mind about me again. again. 
So you've been given right standing. So listen to what Paul's saying. He's saying, having chosen them, he called them to come to him. And having called them, he gave them right standing with himself. That's worth celebrating. Come on, that should change your attitude today. He chose you, he called you, and he gave you right standing with God. But there's more. So throw your false humility out the way. There's more that you get to receive. Then Paul says this, because you can't walk away from this part. He says, and having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. Now, glory is a church word. We don't use the word glory too much in the English language. Do you know what glory means? Do you know what it means for him to give us his glory? No hands. Let me explain it to you. It means he will bring honor to you. That means that he will light you up. <laughs> you all worried about them dark spots under your eyes? You bright, baby. You bright. You lit up. But you lit up the right way. <laughs> Come on, somebody. <laughs> Y'all used to get, you really lit up now. <laughs> then to share in his glory means that he will elevate you. Watch this. Always be aware of people who elevate themselves. Because they're not really basking in the glory. Because when you're sharing in God's glory, you don't have to promote yourself. You don't have to elevate yourself. God's going to be the one promoting you. And people will go through the rice fields and the woods to find you. So I'm talking about, move that brother to the front. Come on. So you got to remember who chose who. Here's number three. You good so far? Here's number three. This is, this is the big one. Look at your neighbor and say, you better get ready. Number three, nothing can change his love. You're going to have to settle that in your heart. You need to pour some concrete in that, and you need to let that harden up, and that needs to be the foundation of your life, that nothing can change his love. I want to show you three things that Paul shows us in Romans 8 that are after your connection with God's love. Do you know the enemy of your soul is trying to disconnect you from God's love. He is always, 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 24-7, 365, trying to disconnect you from God's love. Let me show you how Paul says it to us. Paul tells us that there's three things. The first one is your foes. How I many of you got some foes? F-O-E-S, foes. <laughs> Romans 8, 31. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these if God is for us, who can ever be against us, right? Church verse. Come on, somebody. Church verse, right? Yeah, y'all shout more for church verses than y'all do the non-church verses. And like the ones y'all resonate with, the ones you hear all the time, y'all are like, yeah, yeah. And I'll give you a strange verse, and you're like. If God is for us, who can ever be against us? You know that question is being asked in a very specific way. It's not asking for somebody to identify themselves. It's asking, it's like a rhetorical question. Like, really, is anybody strong enough to outdo my God? Like, really, has there ever been a demon or an enemy that I have not been able to defeat? Read the history. 
Have I ever been defeated by anyone? Like, really, is there anyone? And listen to me, I, sometimes I hear this verse when I'm believing the lies of the enemy and I'm believing, oh God, I'm defeated. And God's going, like, really? Really? He talks to me a little funny. Like, really? Like, is there anybody? Like, have I ever been defeated? Have I left you defeated? No, he didn't. Is there anyone stronger than God? So we may have foes, but we have almighty God. So don't give your foe too much attention. Plow them over and keep on moving. So the foes in your life are coming after your connection with God's love. The second one is the accusers. Ah, you got an accuser? Ever been accused of something? Accusers. You know you got a full-time accuser? You realize Satan is accusatory? (laughs) You realize he spends most of his time trying to accuse you? And most of the time he's accusing you of what you did. Did you get that? He's accusing you of what you did. Romans 8, 33 to 34. Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us, and he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand pleading for us. Now, why did Paul feel it necessary to tell us where Jesus is sitting? In all of that, why did he think it was necessary to say, and he's sitting at the right hand of the Father? Watch this. The enemy spends all day trying to accuse you to you. Here's the problem with some of you. You listen to it all day long. You stayed in court too long. You stayed on trial too long. You didn't need to be in the courtroom more than a minute. Your greatest statement some days is I've been washed in the blood. I've been washed in the blood. I brought that to Jesus. It's in the light, right? So the enemy's accusing you. And as long as he can accuse you and you can entertain his accusations, he's going to stay right there with you because he's trying to disconnect you from God's love. So he starts accusing you. You start feeling guilty. You start feeling shamed. You start feeling condemned. And you're taking a lower position than what God gave you. And you're getting further and further away, further disconnected from God's love because you're entertaining accusations that you don't need to entertain. Did you mess up? Yeah, you messed up. Did you sin? Yeah, you sinned. If Jesus didn't know you was gonna sin, he would have never put in 1 John 5 that if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins. And not only does he forgive you, but he cleanses you of all unrighteousness. You're you're about 10 seconds away from getting out of condemnation. You're about 10 seconds away from walking out of guilt and shame. You don't even have to wait for a freedom group. You can get that at your house. 
Because all you got to do is quote 1 John 5 that says, I've confessed my sins to Jesus and he forgave me and he cleansed me of my unrighteousness. And by the way, even the Old Testament says, I woke up to some new mercy this morning and I needed that mercy. So you can take your accusations and you can bring them to the high court. Get away from me, bro. Take it to the high court. Well, he don't want to go there. Why? Because Jesus is at the high court. If, God, if, if Satan's going to stand before God and accuse you, he's standing before Jesus too. Did you catch what that verse said? Verse 34. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ died for us in this, and was raised to life for us, and he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand. Watch this. Pleading, pleading for us. Oh, I'm telling you, you need to understand that Jesus is pleading your case. I need to let that simmer for a minute. So you may have accusers, but you've been justified. The Bible tells you you've been justified. You gave your life to Jesus, you were justified. What's the definition of justified? You're being treated just as if you've never sinned. God's not your mama and God's not your daddy. And he's not going to treat you like your mama and your daddy treated you. You messed up with your mom and your daddy and they held it over your head for two weeks so they could get what they wanted to get from you. And some of y'all are doing that to your kids. And your greatest parenting skill is to learn how to treat your kids like God's treating you. He heard, he, he heard me. He heard me. <laughs> You've been justified. Once you sin and you confess that sin, he forgives you. He cleanses you of all unrighteousness. Then he treats you just as if you did nothing wrong. It's a revelation you need to get today that he's going to treat me as if I never messed up. Because I'm justified. Number three, or the third thing that is trying to disconnect you from God's love is separators. <laughs> Paul calls them separators. Verse 35. It says, Paul says this, can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Listen carefully. Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? How many of you are like me at times when the tire's flat and everything's going wrong, you have that subtle little question, what did I do? What did I do that separated me from Christ's love? Because you see, I bought into the lie that when I gave my life to Jesus, everything was supposed to be perfect. I bought into that lie a long time ago. It's still got some remnants in there that's trying to bubble up sometimes when stuff don't go right. When your wife's mad at you and the dog don't like you and the cat <laughs> won't even look at you and you're going, Lord, what did I do wrong? Sometimes he says, you didn't do nothing wrong. You just belonged to me. That's all you did. 
So Paul asked the question, does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger? Side note, the day you got saved, you got yourself a bullseye. Smooth on your back. Because you were friends with the enemy and the enemy's with God. But the day you got saved, you changed teams. When you changed teams, now the enemy became your real enemy. And he's been after you ever since. And Jesus never said he's going to take away your problems or your troubles or your trials. <laughs> he just promised that he would be with you in the middle of them. And sometimes you'll never know Jesus like you would know Jesus in a trial unless you go through the trial. Sometimes you don't know Jesus can get you out of trouble until you're in trouble and he gets you out. Sometimes you don't know if you can make it through horrible times until you get into horrible times and you realize that Jesus is walking you through that. And then when you come out of it, you go, man, Jesus, you're cool. Like, we, you walked with me through this. I don't know how I made it. Let me give you 15 things that are trying to separate you from God's love. Number one, trouble. And there's more. Trouble. <laughs> trouble is trying to separate you. It's trying to convince you that because you're having trouble or you're in trouble, that Jesus no longer loves you. Number two, calamity. Calamity is a fancy word for sudden tragedy. You ever lost someone tragi tragically, suddenly? I lost my grandmother out the blue. She died because she ran her car into a house they were moving, and she died that way. And I got a phone call out the blue. There was no sickness, no preparations, no nothing. When I got the news, it stunned me. I didn't even know how to respond. I didn't even know what to say. I called Pastor Bob and I said, hey, my grandma just died. I don't even know what to do. Do I, do I ask my boss to get off of work? I, I, I can't even make it. I was shocked. Even in that can't separate you from Christ's love. Persecution. Uh, yeah. Persecution can't separate you from God's love. Why are you so worried about what people think about you? Why are you so worried about what people comment on your post? Why are you so worried about how many likes you get? Why haven't you gone all out for Christ? Is it because you're still worried about what other people think? And you don't want to face any kind of persecution because you don't know who you are in Christ. So you're trying to balance the beam in between so that you can feel accepted whenever things are going wrong. Persecution. It's better to be persecuted with Jesus than to be friends with the world. Hunger, this is this one, this is mine, y'all, like straight up hunger. Hunger, I'm telling you, this, I'm, I'm going to make fun of it, but like it's legit. Like I can go from hunger to hanger in about 0.1 seconds. Come on, can I get a witness in the place? Like it don't take much. Like next service, if I go a little too long, people's eyes are going to change at me, right? And I, my eyes might change at them because I might snap into hanger instead of hunger. But I, you can ask my wife, like, just things start to manifest. I've tried to cast that demon out a million times. It just, even when I'm hangry, it doesn't separate me from Christ's love. Destitute. Destitute means without basic needs. 
You ever just find yourself without some basic needs and you go, this is the stupidest thing in the world? Like everybody should have toilet paper. (laughs) Why do we not have toilet paper in the house? It's a basic need. (laughs) Destitute. (laughs) Number six, danger. Watch too much news. Danger, Will Robinson, danger. (laughs) Feed your soul with the news of today, the lies of today, and you'll, you'll pretend and you'll believe that you're in danger. And that itself will try to separate you from Christ's love. Threats of death will try to separate you from Christ's love. Death or life will try to separate you from Christ's love. Angels and demons will try to separate you from Christ's love. Fears for tomorrow. Fears for today. Fears always trying to separate you from Christ's love. Worries. Well, how's this going to go? And how's that going to go? And what are they going to think? And what are they going to say? And how am I going to feel? And what's it going to look like towards me? They're trying to separate you from Christ's love. Powers of hell are trying to separate you. Power in the sky is trying to separate you. Power on the earth is trying to separate you. And Paul tells us, he sums it all up with the 15th one. He says, and anything in all creation is trying to separate you. (laughs) So you've got three things trying to separate you and disconnect you from God's love. And the Bible tells us that it can't but you're gonna have to believe that it can't. And you're gonna have to start living like it can't. Let me show you one more thing and then I'm gonna wrap this up. In the middle of all this in Romans 8, Paul quotes Psalms 44. I'm gonna read the quote to you, but then I'm gonna tell you about Psalms 44 real quick. He, He makes this quote, or he, yeah, it's a quote. He says this, for your sake, for your sake, we are killed every day. We're being slaughtered like sheep for your sake. Paul's quoting Psalms 44. Now, what's interesting about Psalms 44 is that Psalms 44 was written by the sons of Korah. The sons of Korah were Levite priests who were in charge of worship at the temple. And they'd been having some troubles They'd been going through some stuff. And if you, if you go into Psalms 44 just kind of blindly, you'll, you'll first start to think that the sons of Korah are complaining. But if you read it a couple times and ask God to illuminate it for you, you'll start to realize that the sons of Korah weren't complaining to God. They were actually making a statement to God. They said this, this was one line. They said, for your sake, we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. You see, they weren't complaining. They were stating to God that we've been going through a lot of stuff. All hell is broken loose against us. It feels like we're sheep going to the slaughter. We can see the butcher house down the road. It feels like we're losing. It feels like I'm never going to get a break. It feels like I can't take anymore. 
It feels like I'm about to lose my mind. It feels like you don't love me. But they weren't complaining. What they were actually doing is making a statement to God because they had a good perspective. They were saying to God this, God, that everything's come against us. We feel like we're about, we're losing on every end. We feel like you don't love us. It seems like the world is gaining ground in my life. I can't take anymore. This is what they were saying. But I haven't turned my back on you, God. I haven't let go of your love for me, God. I still know you love me. I still know I'm loved. I still realize that nothing can separate me from you. And even though I'm going through all of this, even though it feels like I'm a sheep going to the slaughter, I'm a loved sheep going to the slaughter. And God, we just want you to know that even though we've been going through hell and high water, we're still hanging on. We still have hope. We refuse to let go of your love for us. I'm telling you right now, the enemy's been trying to split marriages all over the place. And there's marriages on the brink of divorce all over the place. If one person in the marriage just changes their attitude and says, you know what, God? Even though this thing looks like it's over, I'm hanging on to you. I'm not losing my hope. I'm not letting go. That thing can be restored. I'm not going to let the enemy win. There was a resistance they had inside of them that said, I refuse. I refuse to entertain the lies of the enemy. I refuse to listen to his accusations anymore. I refuse to live condemned when I've been made right. I refuse to be lonely when I'm walking through isolated things. Because I know that if you're for me, ain't nobody can be against me. So you may have trouble, but you're still loved. And sometimes you need to realize this, that sometimes we have trouble simply because we belong to God. Nothing more, nothing less. Amen? Amen. Last verse, and I'm going to pray for you. Romans 8, 37. Paul finishes all this ranting and raving and teaching us that God's bigger than anything we could ever face. Tells us about everything that's trying to separate us. He makes this verse, this, this verse in verse 37, he makes this sentence and he says, no, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ. Watch this, watch this clearly. Who loved, who loved us. Remember how we started? Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrated his love for us while you were the ugliest you could ever be by sending his son to down a cross for you. He loved you. That should change the way you walk. It should change the way you talk. It should change how you think. It should change your attitude towards God.
Some of you may need to repent in a minute for having the wrong attitude towards God. You need to repent because you didn't accept his friendship. You stayed on an outside position thinking that at times I'm still his enemy. You need to repent for that. You need to confess it and then turn away from it. Amen? Bow your heads with me and close your eyes. I believe the Holy Spirit is working right now in each of us. We all find ourselves in different places. Lord, I come to you right now grateful for your word. Thank you for capturing the words that you inspired Paul to write and to speak. God, thank you for proving your love for us by sending your son to die for us when we were at our worst. And we're not at our worst anymore. Help us to understand if you loved me like I was then, surely you love me like I am now. But it's not based on how I am. It's based on your attitude towards me. God, today, would you help us to understand and to build our lives on the fact that we're in right standing with you. If we've been born again, we're in right standing. We may be walking through some stuff. We're growing. You're stretching us. You're tearing down lies. You're doing all kinds of things in our life right now, Lord. And we accept it and we, we encourage it and we invite it in. But God, would you come and do a deep work in us today? So much so, Lord, that everything that we say and do would come from the wellspring of your love. It would come from a place of being loved. I'm loved. Therefore, I speak loved. I act loved. I respond loved. I think loved. Do that in us today. No one looking around, if you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and you, you were sitting here today thinking, man, I don't know if I've taken the first step. Like, I don't know if I'm born again. I don't know if I'm in a good relationship with God right now. If that's you, no one looking around, just raise your hand real quick. Just raise your hand. Anybody in the room? If you've never given your life to Jesus and you want to start that relationship today, you can do that today. Just raise your hand real quick. Praise God. Now, Father, we thank you for this word. Seal it upon our hearts. And when the enemy tries to steal it, anoint it. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, I love you.